Hello, my name is Michelle Lynch and I am a Quality Information Systems Specialist at HCI. I'm doing a podcast today on the importance of policies and procedures to health and social care organisations. We will be discussing the challenges of maintaining them and also the key benefits of policies and procedures to health and social care organisations. So why are policies and procedures important? Policies and procedures are important because they identify and promote good practice. Organisations often see policies and procedures as just a paperwork exercise, but they are definitely not. Policies and procedures provide a great opportunity for improvement as they require staff to discuss structures and processes, what we do, how we do it and how we can improve it. This will help your organisation improve the care and service it provides. Staff, in particular new staff, will also have clarity on your organisation's processes and a greater understanding of their own individual responsibilities. Standards require health and social care organisations to maintain policies and procedures for their organisations. Reports such as the Savita Halepanara report highlight the need for oversight on policies and procedures. In the case of Savita Halepanara, the report highlighted that clinical governance arrangements failed to recognise the vital policies were not in place. In the case of the Port Leash report, it found that there were no formal multidisciplinary arrangements or associated governance structure for the prioritisation, development, sharing and monitoring or usage of policies and guidelines, protocols and care pathways based on best available evidence. The failings in these reports stem back to the lack of oversight and governance of policies and procedures. So that's really interesting, Michelle. So what can you tell us about the stages in policies and procedure development and document control then? The initial stage is the development of the draft document. Prior to the development of any document, approval must be sought. Once approval has been given, a project group should be established to develop the document. The project group should initially focus on determining an evidence base. This should be accomplished by a literature review of best practice, including relevant standards, professional guidelines and legislation. Consideration should also be given to organisational goals and risk assessments. Following the literature review, it is important to gain an understanding of the organisation's current process. In order to achieve this, all stakeholders should be consulted. Once the project team is satisfied with the draft document, it can be sent to key individuals for review. When all feedback has been reviewed and implemented, the document should be sent for approval. Document approvers must be people of sufficient seniority to either approve or reject that document. Approval of documents can be a method of improving governance within the organisation. Where senior managers in the organisation have ultimate approval of documents, This means that they are formally and routinely informed of the processes occurring within the organisation. When a document has been approved, it is ready for activation. Activation is the process of moving the document from a draft copy to a live document, so it is important that this stage is managed correctly. It can be done by the document author, owner or approver. When a policy procedure has been activated, it needs to be distributed and communicated to staff. Acknowledgement by staff should be documented to show that staff have received communication regarding the document and that they are aware of it and its impact on their work. All documents should undergo review. Review periods can vary. The national recommendation is three years. However, document owners should consider changes to practice, legislation, standards or request from an external regulatory body and how this may impact the policy and procedure. Documents for review should follow the same process we previously discussed. Changes should be summarised at the end of the document and clearly communicated to staff. Old versions of a document should be replaced with the new version, marked as obsolete, either in hard copy or electronically, and stored securely for future reference. So Michelle, how can organisations keep them up to date? 
Maintaining an active policy and procedure reg- register will greatly assist your organisation in maintaining its policies and procedures. The register should include a list of all organisational policies and procedures, their approval date, their revision date and the details of the person ultimately responsible for them. If you have an electronic system such as Cupulse, this will notify the owner when a policy procedure is due for review. So I'd imagine there are some challenges in maintaining an up-to-date register. So the challenges in maintaining an up-to-date register often comes down to resources and time constraints. In large organisations especially, there can be thousands of documents to maintain and limited resources to do so. Having the appropriate owner allocated to a policy or procedure is a crucial part of the document control process, but this can be a very challenging piece. Before a policy and procedure falls due for review, the staff member who owned the document can either leave the organisation or move to a different role, and often this may not be reflected back in the policy or procedure itself. Another challenge is lack of knowledge or understanding on what to include in a policy or procedure. If you haven't developed a procedure before, it can be a very daunting task to know where to start and what exactly you need to document. So how would you recommend organisations overcome these challenges? Well, first of all, training is very important. Start by providing your staff with the correct training on developing and maintaining policies and procedures. Have a policy on developing policies and procedures and include training on it as part of the induction process for all staff. Make sure each policy and procedure has the correct owner so that they can manage the upkeep of the document. In the event the owner leaves the organisation or moves to a different role, it should be a handover requirement that the owner contacts the multidisciplinary team and or their line manager to notify them that they have documents that require new ownership. If you use a real-time data intelligence system such as Qualsip, then the senior management team will have oversight of how many documents are due or overdue for review and how many are upcoming for review in the next couple of months. This can assist with planning for resources and allowing for time to review the policies and procedures. Policies and procedures should also be audited to determine if they are being implemented and if they are still relevant and up to date. All staff should, should facilitate in the auditing process. So can you tell us what are the benefits of having good policies and procedures? So the benefits of policies and procedures lie in determining, agreeing and standardising the process itself. Having good policies and procedures will help improve the quality of care your organisation offers its patients. They promote accountability and aid in the provision of compliance in relation to standards and regulations. Communication, education and training will improve as staff will have better understanding of the responsibilities and clarity on how to carry out procedures specific to their organisation and to their role. Policies and procedures also provide a basis for quality improvement as the development and reviewing of policies and procedures requires staff to stop and consider what they are doing. In summary, policies and procedures are an important tool in the provision of safe and high quality healthcare. All staff should endeavour to use policies and procedures to develop and improve the care and services they provide. They should not be seen as just a paperwork exercise, but instead as a useful tool to help us focus on a process and how to standardise it, with the aim of improving the care provided to the patient or service user, which will always be our main priority. If you would like any more information on anything we discussed today in this podcast, please contact HCI via email, info at hci.care. Thanks for listening.